This is Knesset Corner with Rabbi Dov Littman. I'm Scott Kahn. And one of the big pieces of news that's been taking place in Israel recently is the undoing of the Kotel Compromise. Could you tell our listeners what was the compromise and what is the situation now? So for many years, there was tension regarding the Western Wall and groups who did not want to pray in the regular section, which has a separation between men and women, were seeking some way to pray as they choose at the Western Wall. There was also an Orthodox group of women who were looking for the opportunity to pray with uh, wearing the prayer shawls and wearing the religious articles while praying. And the government actually came to an agreement on a compromise over a year ago where they said a third plaza will be established equal in sort of where it's located geographically on the same level as the other plaza. But without taking away from the current plaza. Not in any way taking away from the current plaza, but also with entrance to that prayer area from the main plaza. And that's the point which a lot of people are missing in this entire conversation. There's already been sort of a flimsy temporary structure where reformed conservative Jews can pray in egalitarian uh, services near Robertson's Arch. That's there, it's there, they can use it if they want. But they want it to be accepted and embraced by the state of Israel and given that sense of equality. And that's what this compromise allowed for. It in no way disturbed the Orthodox prayers, men and women separated. It actually protected them on a certain level because now women will not be doing anything on the women's side and the main section of the Kotel, which in some way hurt the sensitivities of the ultra-Orthodox. And everyone would have their own other plaza to be able to do as they as they choose. And that was the compromise. It was voted on by this government. It's very important to emphasize this. This wasn't a pre- Previous government, the current government led by Prime Minister Netanyahu, with the ultra-Orthodox parties in the government, voted to allow this uh, compromise to move forward. This week, they voted to rescind or to freeze, is the terminology they used, that agreement until they can explore other solutions. But what happened originally and what happened now? In other words, is it that something changed? Did Prime Minister Netanyahu not anticipate the backlash? What took place that the compromise was frozen? Well, first of all, it's important to emphasize that the ultra-Orthodox ministers and MKs were part of those initial negotiations. No one should suggest that somehow they were blindsided by it, they weren't prepared for it. They were part of the negotiations, they agreed to the compromise. As soon as the compromise was announced, the ultra-Orthodox media, especially certain extremist elements, came out and started vilifying and, and, and ripping apart the ultra-Orthodox uh, MKs and ministers. And their reaction was that we have to uh, recheck or readdress uh, this issue. And they essentially gave the prime minister an ultimatum, and they said if he doesn't uh, freeze this or rescind this, they will leave the coalition, the government will fall. The prime minister, seemingly without hesitation, capitulated, folded, and just gave them uh, what they wanted. And now we have a real, I'll use the word tragic situation, where diaspora Jewry, they're on the front lines for Israel in terms of fighting BDS, in terms of lobbying parliaments, especially Congress and the White House. And you talk about APAC, you talk about the American Jewish Committee. These are, by and large, reformer conservative Jews. They've been given a smack in the face. And they feel that the moment which they celebrated where 
there was some level of embracing them and recognizing the role that they play in the state of Israel when that original compromise was agreed to. That's now been rejected and they've been thrown out the door. I have to add, while their leadership was in Israel, they're in Jerusalem this week with the Board of Governors of the Jewish Agency. They're here celebrating their connection to Israel, strengthening their connection to Israel. And while they were here, the government made this decision and essentially spat in their face. Now, I've heard a lot of Israelis say that this is a bit of a tempest in a teapot. I'll tell you what I mean. They'll say, wait a minute, the majority of Reform and conservative Jews do not live in Israel. Most Jews who live in Israel either would dive in an Orthodox prayer service or wouldn't really care about this issue at all. So on some level they say, perhaps rightly, perhaps wrongly, I want to hear what you say about this. If you really care about this, move to Israel, get a voting block, and do something about it. But Israelis just don't care about this. So, so a few different answers to that question. First of all, when I go to America and I speak to these congregations and communities, I do say to them, Israel's a democracy. There's 800,000 ultra-Orthodox. They have power in the government. As a democracy, if 800,000 reform and conservative Jews pick up a move to Israel and create a voting bloc, every prime minister would turn to them instead of the ultra-Orthodox to form a coalition. So I do make that point over and over again. But having said that, I'm pushing that aside for a moment. There's a few points. One is we pride ourselves, and the prime minister especially, as Israel is the nation-state of the Jewish people. Well, if that's true, then it has to be a place where the Jewish people can actually feel at home. You can't make that statement and make that declaration, but then say we won't be welcoming to such a large population of the Jewish people. That's part one. But the second part is there's a, a strategic economic and security interest for the state of Israel. If you get rid of APEC, if you get rid of the AJC, if you get rid of the federations, if you get rid of the power that they have, that you get rid of the college students on campuses who are fighting BDS, if we don't have them on the front lines, I, I guarantee you, we lose the BDS battle, and that hurts Israel economically. We lose the battle in terms of keeping the connection with the United States and all the things that we take for granted in Israel. Billions of dollars in military aid, Iron Dome missile shields, all those things. Not now, but 20, 30, 50 years from now, they will not exist any longer. And therefore, aside from just the value of being one nation and the Jewish people issue, there is also a strategic interest for the state of Israel. Now remember, no one is saying open up the doors that Reform Judaism and Conservative Judaism and other streams uh, can have complete control over religious services in Israel. There are issues of keeping the people of Israel together when it comes to marriage, when it comes to conversion, and they're difficult to navigate. But the basic step of we embrace you, we welcome you, you can have an equal place and access at the Western Wall, that's something which I think as a symbol is important to share with them, and doesn't hurt us in any way. It doesn't impact anything about the ultra-Orthodox and their prayers at the Western Wall. Orthodox Jews will say that Reform, or many Orthodox Jews will say, I should say, that Reform and conservative prayer services are inherently anti-halachic. They're invalid. I realize that others will disagree with that. But Orthodox Jews will often say that, and they'll say this is not something which we should support. Orthodox Jews very often will not daven, will not pray in a conservative or Reform prayer service. How can Orthodox Jews support the building of something which in their minds is against halacha? I'm Orthodox. I disagree theologically with the Reform and Conservative movements. I'll openly debate anyone uh, about why and what those issues are. But there are moments in time where you have to say to yourself, if it's just enabling Jews, Jews who, by the way, I would say the survival 
of their communities is very much contingent on their connection to Israel. Israel, in the world that we live in today, plays an essential role in their Jewish identity and keeping them within the Jewish faith. We have to think about the entire Jewish people. And we have to say they can have a place here as well, as long as it's not impacting my own religious observance, and as long as it's not in any way damaging to the future of the Jewish people when it comes to life cycle issues and the like. And that's why we have to find areas where we can embrace them and we can help them feel at home in Israel. So the issue of proving something which is against halacha, you know, it's interesting. I was having this conversation yesterday at the Knesset, standing outside the Knesset with two members of the Shas leadership, and they're standing there while they're talking to me smoking. And I, I said to them, do you realize that I'm looking at you right now and my understanding of halacha is that what you're doing right now is a violation of a Torah prohibition of the highest regard. You're literally, while you're talking to me about preserving halacha, you're violating halacha right in front of my eyes. And they said, well, we, do, we disagree with you. about." So I said, ah, oh, halacha is not always black and white. There's some gray area and we have to, I'm not, again, I'm not giving approval and saying, I agree with the reform and conservative are doing, but I don't see what they're asking to do as the greatest affront possible to Judaism. You know, you open up the Gemara, and the Gemara seems to talk about uh, women being able to read the Megillah, women getting alleled, and it gives reasons that we don't necessarily know if they apply. Today, again, I am Orthodox, and I keep to Orthodox ritual. But there's a lot of gray area, and what they're choosing to do there, from my perspective, is not the greatest affront that's ever been done. They're praying, they're praying to God, they're saying Shema Yisrael, they're reading from the same Torah. I don't see it as this ultimate disgrace and the ultimate violation of halacha. I can't point to the Torah prohibition that they're violating, while the guys who are smoking across from me, I can point to that Torah prohibition. What about the fact that this initial compromise was quite flawed? I say that, that even people who were into the idea of establishing some sort of separate and official prayer area still would say that this disenfranchised the Orthodox women who wanted to pray on the women's side behind a mechitza, who now essentially were being kicked out into the egalitarian area. From their perspective, this was an extremely unfair compromise. Is it possible now that a new compromise will be built that will be more fair? Uh, no. Uh, the chance of a better compromise is not really in the works, and that's the sad part of all of this, and that's why we reject the rejection, so to speak, of the compromise. A compromise means everyone giving a little bit. And while it, it doesn't in any way hurt my prayers on the men's side, if women are, are praying the way the women of the wall choose to uh, on the women's side— Compromise doesn't mean that everybody gets everything they want. And if their idea is we want to have the spiritual experience of being in front of the Western Wall, praying as we choose, this compromise did give them that opportunity. If it's to make a statement in the face of people who are against them, then this compromise does not give them that. But I don't think this is about political statements. This is about spirituality. They're given that opportunity. And I do want to say something here, which is a little bit of a call to the non-Orthodox streams. And I've told this to my ultra-Orthodox colleagues in the Knesset. There will be a lot of pressure on them the day that plaza is built for them to show that it will actually be used. Meaning there's a certain level where the ultra-Orthodox could have benefited uh, from this because I don't know if that plaza will be busy day and night the way you see on the Orthodox side. I don't know how many people will come and use it. Again, I want to give them that opportunity but then it's upon them to show that it really was some kind of a necessity and and therefore for the women of the wall as well, you're talking about a a, a small group. Uh, It's not, like you described before, the masses in Israel crying out for this opportunity. So 
Use your place. Use it. Enjoy it. Connect spiritually. And that's part of what compromise is all about. One final question. There's been a big backlash. But at the same time, we've seen that the prime minister, as many politicians do, cares about his political survival. And should he give in on this, it could very well be that his government will fall. Is there a future? First of all, I think the prime minister should have called the, the bluff of the ultra-Orthodox parties. I do not believe for one moment they would give up the positions that they have to go to elections and risk elections over a religion and state issue, which could very much empower uh, those who are against them politically. I do not think uh, the prime minister, sadly, I think, made the wrong decision. I hope that the backlash that I don't think he anticipated. You know, they canceled meetings with him. They canceled photo ops with him. They canceled gala events with him. That's not something that he's used to. The prime minister understands world Jewry. He understands the value of the relationship with world Jewry. It might get interesting over the next few days, and we'll see how this develops. But my call to him is stand up to the ultra-Orthodox parties. You've given them everything they've asked for in this coalition. Call their bluff. I do not think they're bringing the country to elections over this issue. Show the uh, faith that, and the commitment that you made to uh, world Jewry and to the non-Orthodox streams, and let's have one act where we show the unity of the Jewish people. We value the contribution that they make to Israel, and that's what I hope he does. I don't know how it'll all play out, but it's certainly a, a larger and, and, and more bigger issue uh, than that that he could have possibly anticipated. I'm Scott Kahn with Rabbi Dov Lippmann. This is Knesset Corner.